We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode of Inside Golf Podcast is brought to you today by RickRunGood.com. All the stats, tools, and info that I'll be referencing on this podcast can be found over at RickRunGood.com. Not to mention my two premium articles, which I put a ton of thought, effort, and time into. And I want more people to be able to check them out. On Monday, I write... A very in-depth course breakdown for each week's PGA Tour event. This week, I wrote about 4,000 words on Memorial Park. Uh, I found it to be a really fun course to be able to sink my teeth into. Longtime listeners of the podcast know that I'm a pretty massive Tom Doak fan. He is uh, indisputably my favorite modern architect, and... Of course, in terms of getting to see the best players in the world compete at Doke courses, we uh, as golf fans are incredibly underserved. Um, I think he is the most talented current architect at at least at understanding how to create interesting, often provocative green complexes without them feeling really manufactured like a Fazio, where it basically just looks like he moved a ton of earth and framed everything with these perfectly manicured bunkers. Doak is far more of the, you know, minimalist school of architecture, far more talented in my opinion, in terms of, you know, his eye for finding natural pockets of land and saying, Oh, this a green should be right here. And, and, you know, we actually don't even need to move a, ton of dirt to make this happen long-winded way of saying um this is the type of analysis that you get in these articles how you know can we use what we know about tom doak as a designer to help us identify what players might be really good fits at this course you know i say this humbly but one thing i'm proud of is that you know no one really before me um or after me for that matter was really using Uh, a love and passion and understanding of golf course architecture to help us with gambling and daily fantasy. And I'm not saying that I like invented the wheel here with having 
an extreme passion for golf course architecture. There are a couple really, really great golf course architecture writers and podcasts, and there are also a couple really, really great golf betting and DFS podcasts, but no one was doing both. No one was combining those two things. No one was utilizing an understanding of golf course architecture to place bets and make DraftKings lineups. And I have had a ton of success over the past two years since I really started this thing, um, approaching betting and DFS from that angle. So in my Monday articles, I walk you through all of that. I give like a total inner look into how I create my models and walk through what about this course architecturally I think could actually help us identify what specific skill sets for certain players um, may work out at these specific spots. Um, and the Wednesday article goes into the DraftKings side of it where I go really deep into ownership and make a really inspired case for a couple of players every week. Last week, I argued relentlessly for Scotty Scheffler and Brian Harmon. And, you know, those are the ones who punch in my main build and they finished second and third in the tournament. Unfortunately, it was only a decent DraftKings week for me because I still have a huge CT Pan problem and a huge Justin Rose problem. More on those losers in this podcast coming up. But anyway, I just wanted to highlight, you know, I don't spend a ton of time. I certainly don't spend as much time as I should um, really getting to talk about and, and promoting and hoping you guys give a chance to check out some of the work that I do behind that paywall at rickrungood.com. Um, but I'm really proud of it. And now is a great time to sign up. You get not only those articles, but you get all of the data on the site. I've mentioned many times how Rick works pretty damn tirelessly um, to improve the site on a daily basis. And we have a new custom lineup generator with all these new things that you can plug into a model. It's kind of like my dream. Um, a very active Discord uh, where you can hit me up for questions anytime as well. Uh, so sign up today. Type in Andy under the coupon code, and we would love to have you as part of the team. Coming up on this podcast, my very good friend Kobe DuBose breaking down the DraftKings slate for the Houston Open. Kobe has played this course, Memorial Park, a ton of times. He's got a ton of great info on the course. And if you like Kobe, you're going to have the opportunity to hear a lot more of him on Inside Golf Podcast. A lot of great off-season content coming up with Kobe in the next couple of months. Just a lot of great off-season content on this podcast in general that I'm really pumped for. I recorded an episode with Kyle Porter a couple of weeks ago that I'm really excited for you guys to hear. So when golf slows down after the RSM next week, uh, we will not be slowing down on this podcast. We will still be rocking and rolling with one, maybe two episodes every single week, all the way through Kapalua. Um, I really love the mini golf off season that we have because it gives me a time to unleash all of these 
weird podcast ideas that I've come up with over the course of the past year. So stay tuned for that over the next couple of months. But for now, it is me. It is Kobe DuBose. It is the Cadence Bake Houston Open 2022 DraftKings and betting preview. Let's get to the podcast. All right. Kobe DuBose is here. Houston zone. Houston's having a bit of a sports moment, my friend. Is this Houston sports's apex mountain? We've got your Astros winning the World Series last week, of course. Uh, Houston Open Week down at Memorial Park. Even the Texans covered the spread last week. How? What's the vibe right now in Houston? Uh, pretty excited. There were about two million people downtown this morning for the uh, parade, which okay, so, was so insane. It, it was this morning, huh? Yeah, I couldn't actually get to my office. I was coming back from a court in a different county, and they had every exit blocked off, so I just came straight home. There was just no, there was nothing. No one was working today. The courts were closed. They closed school districts down so the kids could come. Absolutely insane, but, you know, cool, I guess. So So are you guys just in on Mattress Mac? Is he like, is he a hero to you guys at this point? So he's a little hokey, and he's pretty controversial right now because he's like endorsed the somewhat unpopular insurgent Republican uh, Mm. candidate for like the head office of Harris County. So half the city loves him, half the city hates him. Generally, like people like him. He's done like a lot of good things during hurricanes and stuff. So you get a lot of goodwill in Houston for doing that. So I would say positive vibes on Mattress Mac. Of the money he won, like the 75 million bucks, almost all of it's going back to like people who probably really need it in Houston. Like I, so- Short story here. I bought some furniture from him. It was a two X promotion. Yeah, tell the story. Yeah. So I went, we got a new house. We bought like a dining room set. We weren't going there. I thought he only did the promotion for mattresses, but it was for any like hardwood American made furniture. So we're looking for a dining room set. My wife really liked it. And we're like, well, we're going to buy this anyway. And so the promotion was a two X, right? So if you spend seven grand, we spent about seven grand on all this furniture for our house. It's like, you get $14,000 back if the Astros win. We're like, all right, whatever. It's July. Who knows? But fine. Maybe in October, that'll be cool. And now, of course, it is cool. So we'll get the money back. There's a lot of Houstonians that are like buying stuff on like 10-year layaway or credit plans that probably can't afford what they bought. And now they're about to get like life-changing money for them, which is pretty cool. So that's kind of why he's a hero, I think, on some level. Yeah, I'm kind of in on Mattress Mac. And I found... um... You know, it's such an easy team to root against. And as a Yankee fan, you know, I have my longstanding issues with the Astros. I kind of combated that by betting them every game, yeah. this World Series. And and you gave me some some guidance and help on that. So it turned into a team that I didn't necessarily like enjoy rooting for, but um I ended up rooting for them because I had money on them every game, but like, it, they take pretty good care of your money. They're like, <laughs> they're this team that can, they can wallop people. You feel fairly like they don't make a lot of errors. They don't do anything stupid. So they're kind of an okay team to bet on because you know, they're going to be in the game. Yeah. You had that one McCullers. Oh, no, he's not, but he's killed us in the past too. He's been a Yankee killer at times. I remember. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Um, But all right. So let's shift gears to, to Houston. So you know this golf course well. I'm going to give the reins to you to start things off. So talk about how many times you've played this golf course and kind of at a macro level kind of your broad sweeping general thoughts on uh, Memorial Park. Sure. 
so I played it probably 20 times before the redesign, which was, I don't know what, three or four years ago. Now they shut it down for a year and a half. 2019, I believe. Yeah. Right. So I, I played it quite a lot before then it was just okay. Um, since the redesign, a much better golf course, I've probably played it 50 times in its new version. Um, it's really cheap for Houstonians, like 30 bucks, 150 bucks if you're out of town. So it's a place that we get out a lot, very close to my house. Um, uh, generally speaking, it's a golf course that's hard in like weird ways that are yeah. kind of hard to see. You look at it and you think, well, there's not a lot to this. Well, that's and Tom then you Dope. Play it. Yeah. You're right. It, it's a kind of a classic Tom Dope deal. What's interesting is that the rough plays a lot higher for the members, so to speak. It's the People's Country Club here in Houston. For the average daily golfer, the rough is generally fairly tough, like five-hour rounds because you can't find your golf ball five yards off the fairway. And then, of course, the tour comes to town and they cut the rough in half, which pisses all <laughs> of us off, right? But pretty tricky. I mean, Bermuda wall-to-wall, -wall, kind of uneven, sort of spotty rough, which creates some of this you can get very unlucky in that rough, right? You can't, you can get some lies where you really have to muscle the ball 150 yards and you cannot get to these greens on these long par fours. Um, or you can get pretty lucky in the rough. So it creates a little bit of uh, doubt and uncertainty with these guys. The course is growing in more. I'll say one of the things that I like to say about Memorial Park, because it frustrates me to no end when they have the rough up, the green surrounds are kind of bare. The course is new and they've had trouble yeah. at times growing in the grass, the real short grass around the greens. Well, there's so like I, no bunkers either, right? Which no I, bunkers. I, I personally love because I think Doke is literally one of the only architects that understands that sand is no longer a hazard for the best players in the world. Um, but yeah, I think there's like 19 bunkers on the entire freaking property. Yeah. And you know, they're, they're pretty, a lot of them are very small, but they play very large because just the way everything rolls in and you can find yourself behind these bunkers and with some of these slopes just be totally dead. So they're kind of, they function more as barriers because balls will roll into them, but you can certainly find yourself behind them and just be done. Um, but a tough, really tough golf course around the greens, um, slopey, yeah. fast Bermuda. Uh, I'll talk about this a little more later. I think it favors a right to left just a lot of subtle dog leg laughs. There's not a ton of trees. They took out tons of trees with the re uh, design, but the way the trees are designed, you know, you can be blocked out. There's some real problems. Like some of these fairways, you can hit the fairway a little bit like heritage, maybe where you hit the fairway, but you have no angle whatsoever. Um, you know, cause you're blocked out by trees. That's about the only way that it's like heritage, but there's a little bit of that in it. Uh, but it challenges you kind of, in a lot of different ways. You're going to hit a lot of long irons, a lot of seven and six irons. The par fives are uh, a chore, all of them. Um, the par threes are all very different. It's the kind of golf course where you miss 10 feet left of a pin and your ball lands on the green and ends up in the water. A lot of that going on. So it really, I think, keeps guys on their toes. There's a reason you saw four guys last year withdraw. It beats the hell out of these guys. Um, and I think that's probably why you've seen some of the guys not come back after they had an unbelievable field last year. You don't see the Tyrell Hattons, sure. uh, you know, and all those guys. There's a lot of dudes that just didn't make it back in part because I don't think they're ready to get beat up in like a major championship type course setup this early in, in the year. fucking November. Yeah. Right. Well, the last two, the last two champions said, we're good. We're going to live. Yeah, that's right. No, they run from Houston. We ran them all. Yeah, we, <laughs> don't even, we, we don't even get to see a player consultant 
Brooks Kepka reckon with his choices? Oh God. Do you think he actually had any input no. on this golf course? I, 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 I do not. And I've gotten this question before about what do you think the extent of, and I've talked to guys that are more in the know with this about, you know, there, this happens a lot with like Justin Thomas is doing a project right now. I think with Jack Nicholas, this player consultant thing, it's an, it's a marketing thing. I, I don't, I, I think some of them are genuinely interested and it is like a learning thing where I think, some of the guys, like I know Tiger Woods, who has started to get a little bit more interested in making golf course architecture part of his ever-growing business portfolio. Uh, I know that he, you know, at first what had the player consultant name on a couple of projects with some other designers, and then that kind of helped him get into the swing of things where he felt comfortable being not really the lead architect, but being more prominently involved in the design. So I think sure. it kind of comes down to the player. I do not think that golf course architecture is going to be a prominent part of Brooks Kepka's career going forward. I, I just no, me don't, either. I don't, I don't see it. <laughs> I think the story behind that actually was that Jim Crane, so the Astros foundation, they basically started an Astros golf foundation just for the purposes of pouring all this money into Memorial Park so that they could then sponsor the tournament. $19 million renovation. Sure. I mean, and cool enough, but uh, Jim Crane, who owns the Astros, is a member one of the clubs down in Florida, wherever Kepka was. I don't know where he is. It's probably Medalist, the Bears Club, I think. Yeah, Medalist, Bears Club, Jupiter. I think it was Bears Club. That's where Crane is. So they actually were friends just from that. And so I think he brought Kepka in because they really they were trying to boost – you know, the, the profile of the course and then also the tournament. So I doubt, I bet he was here once if I had to guess. Yeah. I probably walked the course one time with Jim Crane and Tom Doak and said, you know, Hey, that looks good. And then gets his name on the scorecard. So any big narratives heading into this week that have irked you that you think are incorrect or on the contrary, anything this week that we should be talking about that we're not talking about, before we dive into the slate, I, I your breakdown of Memorial Park, I thought was excellent. Like I'm totally on the same page with you in terms of short game, in terms of long iron play, in terms of the rough. Oh, actually, last question for you. Um, is it been windy down there? Is that going to be a thing this week? Maybe um, it, it can pop up. We've had wind in Houston. I play golf in the wind a lot. If you're going to play golf in Houston, it's going to generally be windy, particularly in the afternoons. Right. This time of year is not the windiest time of year. We get a lot more in the spring um, with the wind, but that's to, that's not to say like we'll have 10 to 15. Like we're just not really going to get the 20 to 30 unless they get a cold front. I think Saturday and Sunday are supposed to actually, a cold front's going to blow in on Friday and it's going to be pretty dicey. I mean, we're the tough weather when it gets in the fifties here, it, it's kind of harsh. So I think you could see some pretty tough conditions on those days. To answer your first question, you asked me kind of narratives that I've heard that I think are wrong. Um, one, the idea that this is like a bomber's paradise and that there's no penalty. Completely. Yeah, it's not. It, I mean, I went through and watched a lot of I wanted to figure out two things. Right. The guys that have had success here in the last two years, how did they do it? And there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I'll get into that. And then the guys who struggled, how did they do it? So I think there's one hole from one prominent player that can sum up the challenge of this golf course. And that's Tony Finau last year on Friday. He missed the cut by one. 
Uh, he made a double on the 14th hole, which is a 520 yard par it's four hardest hole on the course. Yeah, sure. And, and it plays as a par five for us. Um, and it's, it's very challenging and his entire hole, I think sums up where this course is hard. It's a dog leg left, but nothing crazy. It's kind of subtle. There looks like there's a ton of space. You have to hit it 60 yards left to be in the ravine and you really have to hit it 50 yards right to be in the trees. So, you know, pound driver and get out there. Well, he, he doesn't hit a draw. He hit a little squeeze cut and missed it by five yards and he hit it 305, but it rolls into the rough by five feet. He has a terrible lie. If you go back and watch it on his shot tracker, you can actually see the shot because they had video of him. Terrible lie. So he has to kind of one hand it out out of the right rough and he comes up 20 or 30 yards short on the right. Now he's over a bunker to a slopey, tough green. He hits that 40 feet by because you just couldn't stop it from where he was. And then he three putts from there and makes double. And it was literally everything you're going to see on this golf course. You need to hit a draw on this hole, even though you could get away with trying to hit it straight. But now the slopey fairways push you into the rough. You're just missed. You're just off, but you draw a terrible lie. You can't get it there. Now you're behind one of the 19 bunkers that Doak has put there because he knows exactly where you're going to hit it. And then you're, you have a slope, so you can't get it close. And then, oh, yeah, once you get on the greens, they're not the hardest greens in the world. I put pretty well there. But if you're on the wrong side of a slope and you're 50 feet away, like three putting will be a thing this week. So you saw literally everything bad that could happen. And he misses the cut by one because he makes a double there. He doesn't lose a ball. He was in play. He didn't hit it in the trees. Oh, he cards a six. So I think you're going to see a lot of that where, you know, you're going to watch your shot tracker and a guy's just off and all of a sudden he made a six and you go, where did this happen? Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I think, what's going to make this course hard. You really need to play to the fairway and you really need to be sharp around the greens. Um, and then you can get it done, you know, kind of with some magic from there. Yeah. You also threw out, you threw out Riviera to me over Texas morning, which is an interesting one. I probably, I probably overlooked that one to be honest with you. Cause I generally having played some Kikuyu courses in sure. California, it's just, it's such a distinctive grass um, that I tend to often overlook Riviera in terms of comparing it to other courses, because I just, I think Kikuyu just, it's just like a singular golf experience that I struggle sometimes comparing it to Bermuda courses or other courses. Sure. But, you know, if you look at some of the green complexes too at Riviera and Doak definitely is a big George Thomas fan. Um, sure. you know, he has written about on the, you know, the golf club Atlas message boards that I spend way too much time reading. Um, Doak is a big, big, big admirer of George C. Thomas's work. So I think that's a good one too. I think any of these courses that, you know, I threw out Southern Hills this morning, like it's probably, what do you think? The last two tournaments were 10 and 13 under, like, what do you got for winning score this week? I don't see it crossing 15. Maybe if someone no, gets crazy hot, but it's right there again. I think it's more likely to be eight than it is to be 15. Agreed. Um, and the reason why, so I went back and looked and I watched, well, this, the course is crazy. The winner last year who won by two played his second round. He played the last seven holes in seven over and won the tournament by two. Jason Kokrak played <laughs> the last seven holes of his second round, seven over and won the tournament by two. It's unbelievable. So it's the kind of course where you can get really sideways. I watched Henrik Stenson make a 10 on a par five right in front of me. 
And we were looking around like, this is a major champion. Like he, he almost fell in the water. So it really beats you up. And the thing that makes the course difficult is that I don't know that there's an easy birdie out there. So yeah. the par fives, number two is like a dog leg left. It's 600 yards and plays through a tight shoot. And it's just long and hard. If you hit a good drive, you know, you can make birdie there. But the other par fives, uh, later number eight plays like 620. It's very tricky. Out of bounds at the right, trees on the left, real tough. And then 17 at the end is a very hard hole where most people just lay up and you're hitting a 120-yard wedge off of a – the reason I said it's a little bit like um, Riviera to me is there's so much slope in the greens that go toward mm-hmm. these barrancas that yeah. a lot of times you're you're on side slopes. It has some Augusta to it in that way. So you're hitting a 120-yard wedge with a little bit of wind to a peninsula green, and that's your par five. Like, So where are the scoring opportunities? The par threes are very long. The short ones play with weird slopey greens over water. Uh, and the, a lot of the par fours are 480. So there's no obvious places that you're going to go out there and make three or four birdies in a row. So it really plays a little bit like a major championship in that you better make a bunch of pars and then find your birdies where you do hit a good shot. It, but there's not a lot of obvious chances, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, 16 you mentioned. Uh, well, first of all, just to give some stats to back up what you're saying, third hardest set of par fives on the PGA Tour last year. So, you know, you're right. These are, and even 16, 16 plays over par. I mean, and that is incredibly rare on the PGA tour. I think there's maybe three or four par fives on the PGA tour that play over par like 14 at Pebble beach is one, but there's just, there's really not many, uh, par fives that play over par. And so, yeah, you add it all up, uh, especially if it gets a little bit windy and there's not there's not a ton of scoring opportunities and it's a interesting uh, juxtaposition with what we've seen this fall swing. And you're right. Maybe, maybe that's why the field suffers a little bit is like the cell at Mayakoba is you can, and not to throw shade onto the beautiful tourist destinations in Houston, but you know, Mayakoba, you can go hang out at a resort and shoot 23 under par and, you know, slide your club under this very, uh, easy pass column where the ball sits up. And this is, uh, this is a real test. It is one of probably the seven hardest, maybe five hardest non-major courses on the PGA tour, I would say. So yeah, I mean, the field's not bad. Are you going Kobe? Yeah, I'll be going on Thursday. Um, I'll probably get out for one of the practice rounds as well. I have to be out of town, unfortunately, for a wedding. I'd love to spend a little more time out there. It was fascinating last year. You know, it's pretty well attended, but nothing crazy. So you could really get pretty close to the guys. I I watched um, uh, Mark Leishman for quite a while, just like duff it around and somehow chip in for birdie and par. It was (laughs) literally he's hitting it to places like we pl- I play from a similar tee. This is in the middle of the city, so there's not a lot of room. There's a- there aren't these like foreign tee boxes that are behind where we're playing. So yeah. you know we don't I don't play it tipped out, but fairly close. So I'm like he's hitting it like sp- I'm better than that. And then all of a sudden somehow he's making birdies on these holes, which is kind of you know that's his thing, I guess. But it was fun to watch these guys scramble around when I'm I know where you are in that rough. I've hit that shot a million times. Oh, okay, you hit it to 15 feet. All right, great. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you can find uh, you can find Kobe's practice round observations in his Discord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the premium package I think is is twenty bucks a month, but these are the weeks that it's really worth it. You know, we're not going to give any. Um, well, you know, look, you can always read between the lines with us with some of this stuff. But what I like doing with you is talking about the slate, mainly through the lens of ownership. But again, if you listen closely, you can probably get a sense of the guys that me and Kobe have some more interest in. But again, we are recording this on Monday. It is what, 7 p.m. for you and 5 p.m. for me on the West Coast. So the ownership projections on Rick Run Good haven't even come out yet. Those come out uh, late on Monday evening. So we're going to do a lot of speculating here, but Generally, you and I are pretty good at at figuring out where where things are going. You want to start at the top with the 10K range? Sure. I'm happy to. Well, I'll start at the 11K range. Um, That's right. You know, <laughs> Scotty Scheffler priced way up, which may be a blessing to keep some ownership off of him. Um, I, I'll tell you this, a sneaky comp this week, and I think you brought up Southern Hills, which I think is a good comp. And I told you in our uh, text that I thought it was both a good and bad comp. The only reason I don't love the comp is because as we talked about in the Southern Hills show, that course was going to put a lot more short irons and wedges in your hand than totally people agree. understood. Yeah. Memorial Park's not going to put I mean, a, a couple, but it's going to be mid and long irons pretty much all day. Um, but I, I think it's a decent comp in that, you know, we've got these meandering creeks. We've got these green surrounds. You know, it's a really a, a thoughtful man's golf course, somebody who can think their way around, keep it in the right places, make pars on the hard holes. You know, so it's almost guys to me who have like a major championship style pedigree game um, and guys who played well at Augusta. That's where I was getting with that. Augusta is a sneaky, weird comp, different grass types. Um, but you hit a lot of long irons there into some of the par fives. Well, unless you're Bubba. Uh, but I think there's there's a little bit of similarity there with the par threes as well. You have some variety in the par threes at Augusta, some that play very short over water, but you have to be very precise, some that play long and uphill and downhill. You're going to get a lot of that at Memorial Park. And obviously, Scotty Scheffler showed that he can handle, you know, the, the short green surrounds and the slopey greens, and he can think his way around tough greens. So, you know, I, I think he profiles well here. He's played well here. The results bear that out. He's a Texas guy. Um, I think he's going to be super heavily owned um, just because you can get creative down in the sevens. And and as we'll talk about the 8K range, kind of. Uh, so Scotty Scheffler, I believe, will be pretty highly owned. But, you know, I, I do think there's a good reason for that, um, at least at this spot. So here's an interesting, yeah, here's interesting. interesting thing about Scheffler. And I, he was in my core plays article that I put out every Wednesday on rickrungood.com. And I had him projected when I wrote that article at, I think, 13.7, 14-ish percent. And he finished, he closed at, I think, like 21 or 22%. So one thing to monitor, and we've seen this a lot with some of these higher priced guys, you know, if the ownership projections on Wednesday and all of them were showing that Scheffler is relatively under owned compared to his peers, 
he is going to catch some late steam. Now, I don't think that's going to be the case this week because I think the ownership projections are going to have him high all week. But one thing that I've noticed is that some of these higher price guys, you got to be you got to be careful with them because there's there's a lot of and this happens just with the 10k range in general with between Scheffler, Burns, Hideki, and I guess we'll throw Henley in there. You know, one of those and even Wise because I think a lot of people will just start with Wise. One of those guys is going to be a good player by the way, is going to be as my best guess would probably be Hideki just because Hideki's always underowned. But like one of those guys is going to be 13ish percent on Wednesday and there's going to be this kind of acceptance between all the sites will come to like similar conclusions on some of these guys. And then you'll catch some late steam on one of them. And that's what I was bummed when I saw that with Scheffler. Cause I mean, and, and it obviously ended up working out. He finished T3. He was, I had a great DraftKings week last week, but if I gave you over under 25% ownership on Scheffler, are you taking the over or the under? Um, in the $20 contest, I'd say probably just barely under. I'd see him coming in at 22, 23. Okay. I think he could potentially be higher owned in the, the higher stakes. Last week, I was all over him everywhere. He yeah, was like 36% in the bigger contest. Finau was somehow like 3%. I think he was in one lineup. That ended up not working out for whoever had Finau. But, you know, give me Finau at 3% over Scheffler at 36%, and I'll, I can live with it. So I do agree with you, but I think he comes in just a little under 25 because it the price is so much higher than a guy like Sam Burns, who I think is going to be very popular this week as well, given his right. history here. And then, you know, Finau, I think, could go a little under on. But I think there's a lot of stuff to like in that 9K range. And then Burns and, and Henley and Wise, those are guys that people want to play. So I... I Give me a little under, but I think he'll be popular. Well, that's what my follow-up question to that would be. If he's say, I think we're kind of, cause I'm with you. I would go like just slightly under two. I would say as we stand here on Monday night with no projections at all, it feels like a 23, 24% chef week. You know, he played so well on Sunday. I mean, it was a backdoor and it wasn't like he was on coverage a ton, but he, you know, he still finished T3. There's, you know, he alleviated some concerns about his recent form. You know, he didn't really jump off the page at the President's Cup, was kind of ho-hum at this at the CJ Cup too. Like there, I don't think anyone has any concerns about Scheffler's current form right now. But let me ask you this, at 24-ish percent, is that still the highest owned guy on the slate for you? Or is there a guy where that you could see eclipsing 25% this week? Because it's been interesting. I think as a whole, the industry is starting to get better at this. There's been a lot less like disgusting chalk. And, you know, I would say the only disgusting chalk last week was a 20% Joel Damon who fucking finished T3. Um, which is just just absolute pain for people like me and you. But do you think that Scheffler at 24% is like the highest owned player on this slate and it's pretty flat at the top? Or do you see anyone else emerging maybe in the high nines? Or you mentioned Burns as somebody that would eclipse Scheffler. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Um, I, I think Burns and Scheffler are going to be pretty similar in ownership. I don't think one's going to be... I think there'll be different ways that you can create your builds, and both guys are going to be pretty popular. And I think it's going to be very hard to double stack them. So I don't think you're going to see much of that, which will hold their ownership, both their ownerships down a little bit more. I mean, if you put Scheffler at 11-1 and Burns at 10-4, you see a lot of people jamming them both in. So I I could see some spread ownership here. I don't think Finau, Hideki, or Henley, given his price jump, are candidates to be, you know, anything above 18, you know, and in some cases, I think much lower. I could see Aaron Wise being very I was going to say, man, I think Aaron Wise, yeah, I think Aaron Wise at 9-9 might be over 20. I really do. Yeah, I I think so, too. He's got a chance to be the sort of 28% guy that you look up and go, oh, wow. I also think Davis Riley has an opportunity to be very highly owned coming off. Why why do you say that? That's interesting to me. Well, just coming off a really a pretty good week, like from the start to the end. I mean, I know he... The finish could have been better, but he was just living at the top of the leaderboard from the jump, you know, in his uh, performance last week. And I think people have taken notice. People were kind of off of him. He was kind of low on. But I think people like Davis Riley, and I think he's very cheap. I mean, he's priced $200 less than Andrew Putnam. You know, it's a right. in this field, you know, people like the upside, um, you know, young gun type deal. 
I don't know that I'm going to get there because I think he's played just a lot of golf um, for me. But I think the price is right, and I don't think there's anybody. The 8K range is kind of a wasteland of guys that people don't necessarily love to play. Every week, Smith, by the way, there's I write about this every yeah. single week where there is a complete and total dead zone in the 8K range. There is always three guys in the eights that are like under 6% every single week. Yeah. Oh, well, that's right. I mean, if you could get the AKs right, you know, that's really where you make your money. I think Neesmith's been gone for a while. He hasn't played in a while. Obviously the form is great. Um, and he's the kind of guy who keep it in play. I like him a lot here for what he can do off the tee. And then, you know, the iron play, obviously Siwoo is always comes in a little lower than he should be. Although I think he'll be popular this week. I've seen, some reactions to him. Um, Norin, no one ever likes to play ever. <laughs> no. Putnam's just priced up considering who he is. I mean, I know he's just Andrew Putnam. I don't think people are there quite yet with him. Pendrith, there's some concerns about the short game that I've seen kind of percolating around the industry, although you can't deny the upside um, with him. It's just a lot of guys that people get scared off. Munoz is always – recently he comes in lower than he should. You know, Taylor Moore, Wyndham Clark. It's just a lot of guys that people have scar tissue with. So I could see Riley being a popular click because you got to have somebody um, from this range, or at least, I mean, you don't have to, but people will want to, right, if they want to have any kind of balance in their build. So, so you're, I, saying, I do. you're saying Riley is your other candidate of somebody that could kind of get close up into the 20s? I think he could get close. I think high teens. Uh, I don't, I mean, as you know, the guys at the top of the board are going to be higher only. What constitutes high ownership percentage at the top of the board right. is different than what constitutes high ownership at the bottom of the board, right? Like there's only so many guys above 10 K. So those guys are obviously going to be higher on. So uh, Tony Finau at 11% is low on for a top end guy, but someone at 6,800 who's 11% is high on, right? That's kind of the way that, works. Um, but I could see Davis Riley sneaking up into the high teens, which will be pretty high for that AK range. Okay. I want to, I, a lot to unpack there, but I want to move backwards just a touch. Yeah. yeah um, I don't want to skip this nine K range or even the yeah, rest of the 10s. Well, well, yeah, I was going to say too, I really like Hideki this week. I think that that is probably early in the week where I'm leaning towards is like the guy that could be in 70-ish percent of my lineups. I think that 15% maybe. I, I think he's still probably lower than Finau. He has finished second here, but pretty ho-hum performance at the CJ Cup. It's not like he was jumping off the page at the President's Cup either, but I just th the thing that I like about Hideki a lot is you're going to find a lot of players in this field that, you know, are great drivers of the ball, especially in this price range, great drivers of the ball, have a really great short game and really great long iron players, right? And kind of at a macro level, you need a complete game at Memorial Park, right? Like you can't just be a specialist, really. Like you want to be both a very, very good long iron player, have a deft touch around the greens and obviously be able to drive the brawl preferably long and straight. Like I think Kadecki's short game is super fucking underrated. And I just, I trust him around these greens. You mentioned Augusta, you know, one thing that I was looking at a bunch this week is like, 
how did players perform on these two short grass intensive courses around the green? So like who is somebody that gained strokes around the greens historically at Augusta? Who was good around the greens at Southern Hills? Hideki answers that bell, right? So I think Hideki is Hideki is my favorite option at the top. And then in this 9K range, where where do we st- two questions for you? First of all, where do we stand on Jason Day? Is he back? And what the hell are you doing with Taylor Montgomery? Because I know you, Kobe. We talked about it a little bit at Bandon. You were you've been on him a little bit. And my thing with Montgomery's been like, look, man, if you've been playing him all the power to you, like keep riding this until the wheels fall off. But I can't do it. I, I can't, I can't hop on now. So where do you stand on maybe give some thoughts on Hideki and then yeah. these guys at the top of the 9K range? So I like Hideki. Um, I think back to the Sony last year where he made me um, a lot of money. And I remember him getting up and down, you know, dry, there's little short, uh, short par fours, getting up and down from the front of the green when Henley was self-immolating, you know, and Hideki was hitting really hard shots to two feet over and over and over and over and over. Um, I will say this, and I think it matters uh, a lot on this golf course. I think long, uh, you know, lag putting is difficult here because the slopes and the greens are pretty fast and it's a, a tricky place if you get on the wrong side. But this is a place where you can make putts, um, you know, 10, 15 feet. If you can you can hit your irons in there fairly close. I heard an interview with Tom Doak where he said uh, nothing outside of, or excuse me, nothing inside of six feet uh, you should ever play outside of the hole at this course. He was mad at the PJ Tour for not letting him uh, have steeper grades uh, on his greens because they wanted more pinnable area for the pros. He was totally pissed off that he couldn't build wilder, wilder greens. And his takeaway was the PGA Tour screwed me. Uh, you should never put a putt outside the hole if it's inside of six feet because there's they just don't break. And he's right. He's 100% right. I remind myself that every time I go play this golf course, you just nothing. I mean, longer putts, sure. But five-footers? you can can tons of them and that's where Hideki sometimes struggles. And I like him here under these conditions. I mean, look, I'm an amateur. You played golf with me. I'm decent enough. I don't put anywhere in the world as good as I put at Memorial park. And it's in part because of that. So I think one of his weaknesses is kind of neutralized by, um, as Tom Doak described it, the PGA tours unwillingness to let him really get wild. Uh, and I do think he's got the complete game here. I think he's going to – he's a smart player in a sort of sneaky way. I mean, people don't think of Hideki as that. But when he gets on these sort of strategic golf courses, he can plot around with the best of them. He can grind. He can – you know, it is, he's not a guy who's going to go 25 under, right? So this is the sort of spot where you want to play Hideki. Yeah. Um, so I think I'll have some. Um, in terms of Taylor Montgomery – you know, we joked about it. I've played him and I'll play him when he's unpopular, like anybody else. Did you play him last a, week? He had pretty, he was like lowish last week. He was like, what, 12% last week, something like that? Yeah, he was in the player pool. I didn't feature him in any of the um, high stakes lineups. You know, he's, again, I think this is a, a golf course that maybe neutralizes his greatest strength again. Um, I was going to say, that's kind of the, I was going to see if you came full circle with that and you did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's a golf course where Hideki is going to make a lot of six footers, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know that Taylor Montgomery is maximized there. So, you know, and I, I think eventually 
we're going to see where it lands with him. The putting will come back to earth. And I don't want to be on the wrong side of that when the regression begins. I do think he's a good enough ball striker that he will be good. But I don't think this run of top 15s, I think that is obviously buoyed by great, great, great putting. Um, and he's priced up enough this week that I'm okay fading him. Like, you know, a $9,000 Montgomery, who's the 12th, 13th, 14th highest priced player, sure, maybe I want more of him. But I think there's a lot of scenarios where he just puts okay and finishes T36. You know, and when have I ever seen Taylor Montgomery grind it out on a hard golf course? I don't know that I have. This is a, yeah, I think yeah. for some of these newer guys who have kind of, in, you know, gotten into their tour life on the easier courses that we're going to see, Memorial Park is going to be a kick in the teeth. Um, I like guys who have shown a little bit of grit that they can score and make pars, you know, rather than the guys who, uh, or who are just used to hitting it at 20 feet and trying to make a bunch of putts. So, you know, I, I'm probably out on Montgomery this week. Uh, Jason Day scares me uh, just because of health and, you know, if it's going to be a grind, I don't know that I like Jason Day. I don't know that I ever liked Jason Day under grinding conditions, but it's hard to look past the really good iron form, you know, and I think he drives it well enough here to kind of be in play. And, you know, I, I think his short game is really good, which you're going to need here. Mm. And there's a lot to like about Day. And at that price, I think there's a ton of upside. Frankly, who comes in higher owned of those two guys? They're, they're they're right next to each other, Montgomery or Day. I I don't have a great read on this one. Yeah, it depends on how much people keep. Forth. Well, it depends how much people keep tweeting about Jason Day. Um, <laughs> no, I think Montgomery comes in a little higher on. Uh, I think people there's still a little bit of um, people are still a little spooked by Jason Day, and I don't know that people. It's one of those things where there's so much scar tissue built up there with withdrawals and injury problems and just bombing out that I, I see day coming in just a little bit lower on, but, but still, I don't think he's gonna be super sneaky. I think he's going to be kind of in that mid range. Are these negative tweets on Jason day or positive tweets on Jason? No positive day? tweets. I've seen a lot. I've seen some sentiment. I've seen some positive sentiment here early. I like Jason day this week and I never yeah. liked Jason day. Um, I, I just think that, you know, we saw this last year where he he is able to put together a stretch of like, I don't think he's ever going to go back to being a dominant player on the PGA Tour or even a top 15 or 20 player on the PGA Tour. I don't think he's cooked either. I think he'll win this year. And I think he, you probably want to play Jason Day in one of these pockets when he is in a groove and he is undeniably in a groove. And I do think from a course fit standpoint, um, this is a good spot for him. I think that he has been playing well at golf courses on the fall swing that are not great for his game particularly. And he has finished sure. seventh here in the past. One thing that has stayed consistent with Jason day. And you mentioned it already throughout all of his struggles and his slumps, like, he still has a freaking awesome short game. Like he is, that has stayed consistent. The ball striking has come and gone. The putting has come and gone, but he still has an awesome short game. And you look at all these courses that when he was playing his best golf that he won at Quail Hollow, Bay Hill, Plainfield, Conway Farms, Torrey Pines. He was pretty damn good at Augusta back in the day. Sawgrass. Like these are all like big, long whistling straights, like long, 
tougher golf courses. And I'm interested to see where the ownership comes in. I, I kind of like him as like a outright bet at like 35 to one, just because I can like, I can just see it. I can just like weirdly envision Jason day, like winning, but I'm very curious about the ownership with day and Montgomery, especially them being right below wise, because I, I, I have a good read on wise. And I, I think wise makes all the sense in the world this week, right? Like he's the number one guy in my model. I think he's going to be like in that 20 to 25 range. I don't have a great sense between day and Montgomery who's higher because Montgomery, it's like with the dudes finished top 15, like five, six times in a row. And you could even make the argument with Montgomery that the second best thing that he has going for him outside of his putting is that he hits the ball a long way. Right. And so now he finally gets to a course that's a little bit more driver heavy. He's actually his long iron numbers are like pretty good too. So I, sure. that's, that's kind of the, the interesting question before we go into get a little bit lower is I'm very curious about that day Montgomery. If any of those guys, t- if, it, if ownership tends to conglomerate around those guys, because I think the guys below them, Mav, Sahith, Danny, Grio, Domin will not garner ownership. I could see Domin coming in with some ownership after playing well last week. He obviously finished pretty high here last year. Um, yeah. And so he made could... a lot of people happy last week, too. So why hop off? Well, maybe he's $1,800 more expensive. <laughs> the price is too high on him. Um, I think. I was looking last year and, oh my God, who are the surprising guys on the leaderboard, right? Like where's Kramer Hickok coming from? And so I kind of went through and looked at every shot on his shot tracker. So I was curious. And how did he get this done? Really how he got it done was essentially playing these long par fours like they were par fives. I mean, he's hitting 280 yard drives and he's got 240 in and all of a sudden he's 90 feet away in the left rough and he's getting up and down for par like he's playing a short par five. And then he was, he made a bunch of putts. And he was taking advantage of the par threes, which is not an easy thing to do here. So I'm not sure how sustainable it was. It was kind of a, a magic week for him because, you know, on some level at this golf course, you cannot keep having 235 in on the par fours here. You're going to make some doubles. You're going to get yeah, you're very gonna, unsustainable. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't I don't think it's one of those things where you can look at because you may look at that and go, well, a lot, a lot of different kinds of players can win here. I do think it is possible to play well here, hitting it in the fairway. And you're just not going to – you will see a lot of guys. And I watched um, uh, Terrell Hatton. He was probably – I've had the shot he had. I think he was about 170 out over water on number 17. And we were standing behind the green. And he was in the rough. And I'm sure he had what he thought was a good lie. He came up 40 yards short. It landed in the middle of the pond. This is on Friday. And it rinsed his week. And, you know, he loses his mind. He's throwing his club. Like, he's thinking, what just happened? There's so much of that that happens out of the rough that is going to cost guys three, four, five shots in their round. So if you can be incredibly accurate and hit every fairway, you can kind of scrape it around here. Um, but that's sort of picking up pennies in front of a steamroller, right? You're not picking up a lot of birdie opportunities, and it doesn't take a lot if you're only dinking it out there on this golf course to get in a bad spot. So guys like Dahman and Neesmith, who don't hit it super far, kind of limited for me. They're going to have to be perfect to be in contention, which you know, that's that's not what I'm looking for. I totally agree with that. And and I think about that a lot, especially on these longer golf courses is it's like 
every single time we go to Torrey Pines or Bay Hill or Memorial or Muirfield Village or a U.S. Open, there's going to be a shorter hitter at the top of the leaderboard. It's just going to happen. Brian Harmon almost won a U.S. Open at 7,900-yard Aaron Hills. Mackenzie Hughes was in the final group of the U.S. Open at 7,600-yard Torrey Pines, right? Patrick Reed has won at Torrey Pines and Doral and Augusta, right? Zach Johnson won the Masters outlining that same strategy that you just talked about, right? But I'm not in the business of predicting the guy that's going to gain seven strokes putting and seven strokes around the green. I, I just, somebody's going to do it. It's going to happen. Like Denny McCarthy and Kramer Hickok, I think both those guys finished top 11 here last year, but I'm not in the business of figuring out who that guy is going to be, right? Because their roadmap, you know, certain guys on certain golf courses, I talk about this a lot, and you could probably make the case for that Scottish Sheffler kind of has this a little bit this week at Memorial Park, but I talk about this all the time at a course like Torrey Pines, where I'm like, yo, before anyone tees off, John Rahm and Rory McIlroy are starting on second base. They're just just starting on second base. They just have such a built-in advantage at one of these courses uh, versus some of the other guys. And and, and Memorial Park kind of, you know, you can make an argument that a guy like Scheffler or Burns or Finau starts on second base because of their ability to hit a long iron and drive the ball. Well, so I'm with you. I, you know, it's going to be one of those guys. I, you know, I just think that like Denny McCarthy and Andrew Putnam and some of these guys that have been playing and Joel Dahman that have been playing well at these fall swing courses, like the Fortinet and Sanderson farms and Mayakoba, whatever, Andrew Putnam. But this is a golf course where not saying they can't do it, but, their roadmap is going to be a lot harder here. Yeah, I think that's right. I think you need to think about this golf course like it's a major championship type of challenge and ask yourself whether those guys can do it. Now, it's not a major championship field, um, but some guys uh, elevate their game in those conditions and and those type of courses, and some guys very clearly do not. Uh, And this golf course will make that 100% clear. And Scheffler on the 515-yard par four, who is going to be hitting seven iron in, which is long, but you know, he's fine is much different than some guys hacking a four iron out of the rough or, right. you know, it's just a, it's a whole different ball game. And these greens are so tricky that, I mean, it's very hard to get up and down from the wrong place, 35 yards away. It's just, it's not, it's not happening on a lot of these holes. They're very, very firm. Um, so you're going to, you're really going to need to be in position to get the ball I mean, you're going to have a lot of 20, 25 footers this week on these hard holes, and that is totally okay. It's major championship style. Just, yeah. you know, get it there. Maybe you make the putt. Maybe you don't. Take your par and move on. Um, yeah. So I, I see it that way myself. Um, let's drop down a little bit. Give me your best projections for chalk in the 7K range. Sure. Um, man, I've seen – I think people are going to really like Dean Burmester. I know he, I had him last week, and he didn't come in all that highly on, but the form has yeah. been really good. People see him as a long hitter. He's got a good short game. And I think that's going to be the narrative this week. Bomber, short game. I think there's more that you're going to need to be successful. But I think he could be very popular. Will Gordon, I think people will go back to the well there. They see him as like a – almost like a Sam Burns light, almost. Like athletic, southern, hit it a long way kind of guy. I don't think he's anywhere near that level. Um, I'm I'm so proud of myself for that one last week. I don't – 
pat myself on the back enough with these things, but I was clamoring that, hey, all you guys that played him at 15% at 8,700, right. stick around for one more week. Stick around for one more week. And sure enough, he finished top three at 5% and 7K. And there's going to be a guy this week. I don't know who it's going to be. We can talk about it. But one of these guys in the mid to low sevens is going to finish top five. Yeah, I think Luke List um, will probably be popular. I mean, Will he? He's been yeah. he's been sucking. I know, but the course history here yeah. is good. Um, and it's Luke List, right? I mean, you well, think of yeah, Luke List if, in these longer people, places. If people listen to my podcast too, his caddy talked about how much he likes this place. Right. And again, it's he likes Riviera. You know, he's obviously claims to love the Masters. I know he hasn't played there much, but it it's a I think he's got a pretty good short game. I mean, putter's a problem. This is another guy who if he, if you look back last year, I mean, people made a lot of putts from five feet. This isn't like we talked about. This isn't a golf course you're going to miss a ton of these. So that may be why he plays a little better here. So I think he could be fairly popular. I bet Danny Willett's pretty popular. Good form. Played great last week. You know, and people think of him as sort of having a pedigree. Martin Laird obviously was great last week and has been good here. So I could see that. I could see people going to Brendan Steele um, after – well, he was great for a little while in Japan. So those guys, I think, could garner some ownership. Um, you know, your your usual suspects, your Aaron Rise, who are very popular. I think Mackenzie Hughes' history here. Um, sure. Yeah. Coming off a win. I know there's a little bit of a narrative that he's hitting it a little further. We know about the short game. I think there's quite a few guys here who could. Uh, with the 8Ks being sort of a wasteland, I think people are going to live in the 7Ks after they jam Scheffler at the top. So I think you're going to see a lot of ownership. Uh, with those three or four names that I just mentioned. I don't think there's going to be a Dahman situation, though. I don't see it. I don't see No, there's guy. too many good options yeah. down here. There's there's too many good options that are kind of spread out. So I think you could see a number of guys in like the 12 to 15% range rather than having some guy stick out at 22% or whatever. Um, just looking yeah. at the way rosters will have to be created. Okay, so give me your guy for... Give me your guy below 7.6. I'm going to say 7.6. I have two of them because there's a guy that I love at 7.6. But give me your Will Gordon for this week. You know, a guy in that low sevens that you think is going to finish top five. Well, he burned me last week. Um, gosh, I hate, I hate him so much. I'm not going back there. I really, I want Seb Straka to be good. And I like him on sort of hard <laughs> Bermuda. I you thought know, you, you were going to say Justin Rhodes. <laughs> no, I had him too. You know, you watch Straka grind it out at Honda, and he's kind of built for these tougher tracks on some level. The form just hasn't been great. Um, let's let's see. Was Below Straka's, seven points. Can we just hang on Straka for one second? Straka is such an interesting one because this is a guy that people like aggressively want on the Ryder cup and yet he misses two bad cuts in a row and he's like $7,400 and is not going to garner ownership. I know it's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's no weird. one people hop on and off that train pretty quick. And I think it in part, it's because it's kind of ugly when he does it, you know, like he, yeah. he doesn't lose. He doesn't when he misses cuts, I mean, he yeah. has an absolute flame out, like right. just 
And that Ooh. screws him in the models too. Like he never models out that well because when it's bad, it's bad. Uh, I'll say this. I think Cameron Champ has an opportunity to play okay here. Um, okay. And I and I think, as I said in the beginning, I don't think this is just a bomber's golf course, but it certainly helps. And I think he's kind of your classic GPP play here because I see many, many, many scenarios where Cameron Champ you know, is kind of hitting it all over the place and is living out of the rough and just does not have a good week. But if he can keep it in the fairway, if he can drive it even remotely straight, and these fairways are fairly generous. I mean, they're, as you talked about, I think in your article, they're harder to hit than they look like they would be, given how wide they are. Part yeah. of the reason for that is they're they're pretty slopey in a kind of underrated way because a lot of this is sloping down to these exposed ravines. So you're getting these fairways with uh, a lot of slope in the middle of them. So if you miss them on the wrong side with the wrong shape, you know, you're running into the rough, right? So it's kind of a classic firm golf course situation. Um, but but they are wide, uh, wider than, you know, you would uh, normally see on tour. So I think Champ has an opportunity to play well if he can play from the fairway. I'm going to give you uh, my answer. I like the Champ play, by the way. He's kind of been on my radar a little bit just as – He's so volatile and like, I don't typically have like a ton of respect for his game in general, because I just think like he gets so little out of his talent, <laughs> you know, compared to what I think he should be. Um, but I like that play. And these are guys that we're not going to have the two guys that I'm going to throw out to. I don't think we're going to have to worry too much about ownership. Um, you know, we talked about Houston sports, apex mountains, I think it's time for, you know, we, we got Ben Griffin, a UNC guy in the mix at, at Bermuda. I think it's time to, I think it's time for Duke to make a statement here. Um, I really like Alex Smalley. Um, I, this is, you know, you want to talk about firm Bermuda, firm, fast Bermuda greens, a tough, long golf course with a lot of short grass. Um, Washington Duke in man, that is a course where um, it is firm and firm fiery out there. Um, and, uh, you know, Alex Smalley is a guy that over a limited sample size has played really well at Bermuda golf courses. Right. I, and I think the correlation, he's a North Carolina guy. This is a guy that finished like top five at the Wyndham in his first appearance and, and, and a long golf course guy too. Second at the Corrales, six at Mexico, 10th at the Scottish open, by the way, a dope course, 14th at the Corrales, 22nd at Corrales. These are all not necessarily hard courses in the way that Memorial park is, but these are all courses that are over 7,500 yards. And you look at Smalley's, you know, long-term proximity stats, and he's like a top five long iron player in this field. So I like Alex Smalley a ton. And then the other Duke guy that I'm going to throw out, uh, is Kevin Strillman who is, you know, rates out really weirdly well for me. I don't think I'm going to have to worry a ton about ownership with him. These are kind of the guys where I feel like I can, we can throw out here and and be <laughs> kind of scotch-free, even though I think on these like fall swing events, people, people really over rely on content because there's just a lot less of it out there. But Strillman is, um, this is another one of those guys that like he just, He's not long off the tee, but he just gets it done. He's got like a really good record at Memorial, uh, Quail Hollow, Arnold Palmer Invitational, 
Tory Pines, he's got a top five. He finished eighth at Kiowa Island, by the way. That's a it's another golf course with a ton of short grass around the greens. Um, 41st, even at Southern Hills, uh, Duke guy. So I think um I think my blue devils eat this week in the low seven K range. But anyone else, I'll say there's I got like one or two guys in the sixes, but anyone else you want to throw out there before we give one or two just kind of total bombs in the sixes? Um, I, on Smalley, you know, I've watched him some cause he gets a little bit of coverage here. He's and good, there. man. Yeah. I, the long iron play, I think this week, he's the kind of guy who, if we get any win, he hits it so good, um, that he can play in the win on some of these long par threes. There's, these are going to be real separators because they are not super hard holes if you're hitting if you hit your long irons well. For instance, number 11 which plays 230 or whatever, plays 210 for us. Uh I've made lots of twos and threes on that hole despite being long. If you can hit a good long iron, it's kind of a funnily green, you know, if you miss in the right spot over there on the right, I've chipped in from over that bunker on the right cuz it's not a hard thing, but if you if you're not comfortable from 230, there's a bad bunker in the front or you miss long left and you are just dead. So these are real separator holes, not just there, but number seven, which will end up being a huge separator. It's got the big ravine to the left. And we saw lots of guys last year hit it in there. Um, it plays 210, 215 into the wind. Um, but again, kind of a funnel hole, big slope on the right where you can bring the ball in if you know what you're doing. So those holes you know, are holes where guys like Smalley can make birdies while other guys are making fours and fives. Um, so that is something I'm going to be targeting. And I, I think he is good for that. Um, in terms of, you know, kind of bombs in the six K's, I don't love a lot down here. Most of the guys who I would like burnt me last week, your Matt Wallace's, your Ryan Palmer's. Yeah. I was, um, looking, EVR, at, I was looking at Wallace too. I played EVR too. Yeah. EVR CT pan. I mean, <laughs> oh, it's like yeah. literally a, a wasteland of guys who are horrible, <laughs> but I will throw out MJ. Defeat? Oh That's yeah, pre- yeah. He's so, he's on my radar. I, I I'm I'm acquainted with old MJ, local ish guy. He went to Lamar University, which is in Beaumont. I think he's Houston local. He may be from Beaumont. Um, whatever. Beaumont is basically Louisiana, but hour and a half east of Houston. I remember last year when we were out there, he uh, had probably the biggest gallery of anybody because there it was a rain delay on that Thursday. But he had like 50 people following him around in MJ t-shirts. A lot of support. He made the cut, I think. Let me check that. I don't want to give out bad information. Um, but he was certainly playing well because I know his – yeah, he made the cut. He finished 64th. Nothing to write home about. But that was when he was Monday qualifying and stuff, right? So, I mean, yeah. coming out there and making the cut in that field, which featured uh, you know, probably 20 of the top 50 in the world, isn't horrible. I think he's gotten better. He's a little more comfortable uh, the golf course suits him. So I think he's not a bad play down there. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of trash down here though. I just don't, I'm not going back to Ben Martin. I refuse, <laughs> even though he's a Clemson guy. I can't believe Doc Redman is now $6,300. Uh, Peter Malnati has a chance. I, I watched him a little bit last year and followed him around. He played pretty well. Um, he seemed very comfortable out there. I watched him chip in on, uh, number 15 for birdie. Yeah, and he's one of those guys too, where like the roadmap though, at this course, man, it's going to require some chip-ins, right? Yeah. It's, let's see. What did he end up doing last year? Uh, he missed the cut, but he did finish. Well, he finished 17th at the old course. So 
that uh, doesn't give us anything. But I don't know. It's a wasteland in the 6Ks. I'm going to have to dive in further. There aren't a lot of names that jump out to me because it's a lot of kind of short hitters. Garrett Kigo is interesting because he hits it a long way. Scott Piercy has really good history here. I think he's made two cuts, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and obviously is a pretty good yeah. ball striker. Yeah. yeah. Finished you're, 19th and 32nd. Yeah, Pier- Piercy has been good here. There's two guys I'm I'm surprised you didn't mention. Um, wait, let me ask you this first. Uh, who would you rather play, Woodland or Rose? I mean, I'm going to play both of them, but I'm like a psychopath with those guys. I'd rather play Rose. Um, huh? I like I, I like Rose. I like him in this kind of event. Um, yeah, there's something a little bit off about Woodland. I know he missed the cut here last year. Was oh horrible. yeah, there's there's always something off about Woodland. He lost a cool. <laughs> Uh, 10.2 strokes around the green in his last start at the CJ Cup after being like the first round leader, which was a uh, fun swing of emotions for me. Yeah, it's you know he played well last year at the the Valero, or I guess two years ago at the Valero, which is kind of a you know a Texas deal, a lot of short grass there at, at San Antonio and similar ish conditions. But he was I followed him last year. He was horrendous at this event. But this is a hard golf course. I mean, it jumped up and grabbed a lot of guys last year. So I don't think I don't think I would necessarily hate going back to him. I don't hate Woodland or Rose, but I'd probably prefer Rose over Woodland if I had to choose one. Can I interest you in a player that has finished top five at two major championships is 6,800 and is a uh, Texas Longhorn guy that bombs the ball? And has an Dylan, awesome short D- game. Dylon, Dylon, and Dylon. Like, why not? We were talking about him winning at St. Andrews. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were I the agree. only guys talking about that. Finished 19th here last year, right? Yeah, I mean, why not? I think he profiles fairly well for this place. And he's a pretty aggressive guy, which I think you have to be here. There's only so many chances to make birdies. One of them is on number 13, which... Every now and then they play up. It's 390 or 320, depending on what tee box they use. And this is the hole, and people will get to see it. Um, it plays 300 for us. And, you know, I can drive it up there somewhere right around the apron. Uh, it's hugely sloped on both sides. Like, I'm talking maybe a 10-foot slope on either side. And if you're in either of these gullies, I think Sam Ryder made like a 13 playing ping pong back and forth the first time this uh, tournament was played here. He just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's I'm trying he to just WD'd this day. So today, so maybe we've got some context on that one. That doesn't surprise me. It reminds me of the the 14, the one that I put it into the bunker at Bandon, uh, at Bandon trails, similar kind <laughs> of green, except that instead of sloping down on one side and you're up high on the left, it's just both sides. So there's really nowhere to hide. But but that hole is one that really you can make birdie on if you can hit a good shot there. It's so short. He seems like the kind of guy who will get real aggressive and try to drive some of these greens. And he's long enough that the par fives will actually play as par fives for him, which I think is a big deal this week. There's only three of them. Some guys are going to be able to get to these, and some guys are going to be having to hit wedges into tough Tom Dope greens, which is not a birdie. I don't care if you're 90 yeah. yards away. You had to lay up. That is no picnic. You might make bogey from there, which is why some of them play over par. So it'll be a huge advantage if you're able to get somewhere close up beside these greens and two, because there aren't other birdies, as we talked about. Like you have to go get them when they're there. And Fratelli yeah. does that. So hey, yeah. go him. Uh Chuck Hoffman also, I think, is gonna pop his head out this week. I think he's a really good play at sixty eight hundred. But that's kind of all I got 
down here. Give me your, give me your guy above nine, I guess. Nine K, I guess that's too easy. Maybe do we do above 10 that you think is going to miss the cut and then your winner. Uh, Russell Henley to miss the cut. Um, my winner. That's kind of, he, you're not really going out on much of a limb there. He just, this is a total letdown spot for him. Although I will say this, people said that about Seamus last week and Seamus like finished top three coming off okay. a win. He was fantastic. Uh, yeah. I mean that, no, that's not going out on a limb. Um, I think of the real top dogs, these top four. Yeah. Of the top I, four, who is the most likely to miss the cut in your opinion? <sighs> I mean, the easy answer is Finau, uh, but I think Finau bounces back and plays well this week. Um, I could see, I mean, you could see Sam Burns just having a yeah. clunker, although I, I think this golf that'd course. That would be my answer. Yeah, I think this golf course suits him, but you could see him having a clunker. Every now and then he struggles around the greens. I could see Sam Burns just being a little off with the driver um, and, and ending up in some tough spots and just making a couple big numbers here and there and not being able to make enough birdies to recover. Um, but I think all these guys up top uh, profile pretty well at this golf course, but I could see Sam Burns having a clunker. And then your winner. Uh, I picked a win. Oof. Oof. And I mean, the boring answer, I, I think Scott Scheffler is probably going to win this week, but I don't, I'm not playing him at five or six to one right. or whatever he is. Yeah. It's absolutely absurd, but I think this golf course is perfect for him. I think he, he starts with such a huge advantage over everybody else as we discussed. Um, but I could get a little cute here. Um, I think Hideki is super live this week and I'll yeah, have some too. money on him, some actual money. I think there's a, there's this golf course. He's going to be around, right? I mean, he's going to be right there. Six, seven, eight under on Sunday, which is going to have you in contention. And, you know, we'll see where he goes from there. Um, and I think he's got the, he's the kind of guy who, who can make a six and, and bounce back, which is, I think what you're looking for this week. And Kokrak, I didn't think would be that kind of guy. They can make a seven uh, on his last hole of his second round and then win the golf tournament. But you're going to be looking for that kind of guy who kind of like in the majors where we see guys get four over through five and there's only some guys can fight back and get back into the tournament. And some guys are absolutely gone. You're going to see a lot of that this week. Uh, and you need to be thinking about who are the guys who can mentally bounce back from that and keep themselves in the tournament. I think he, I think he can do that. I I think I'm probably going to go with the, uh, the, uh, WD special this week of Hideki day as my main build. Um, but yeah, I, I I just have a weird feeling about day this week. I don't know. He may withdraw on Thursday and I'll look quite stupid, but I I'm going to go with day for that. And then I'm with you on burns too. You know, I'm really high on burns. I, I think he is a bona fide top 15 guy in the world, maybe even has the potential to be a top 10 or a top five. And I think he's good enough to win a major. Um, I, 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 I'm really high on, I'm like a buyer. Uh, I believe in his talent, but with that being said, one thing that he hasn't totally cleaned up about his game compared to like the other elite players, like you look at Rory and Rom and JT um, and Scheffler, those guys miss like two cuts a year. Um, Burns still misses like six, seven cuts a year. So I think that would, that would probably be my answer and then pick to win. I'm going to go with Jason day. So yeah. Any closing thoughts before we, uh, before we get out of here in, in Houston? 
Uh, just super excited for people to see this golf course. I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like um, architecture, or at least you are, are getting into it. Um, and it's a really, really cool place that we're very lucky to get to play all the time. And uh, I heard one podcast suggest that a lot of the tour players hated it, um, which you, I think you kind of see in this field. But that's awesome, right? That's why this place is great. They hate it because it's hard. Um, and it's going to kick them in the teeth a little bit and they're going to really, really be challenged. So I think it'll be fun viewing. I wish that this golf tournament um, was played in the main season. So we got a little more. Um, I think we're going to get ESPN plus for this one, though. Oh, I hope so. That'd be awesome I because I, I I'm going to I'm gonna make time for it this week. I, I'm like super consistent where it's like, listen, if the golf course is good, I will make time and watch it. And this is a golf course I'm super interested in. So I hope so. Yeah, but follow it. You know, they they turn the what's going to make it hard this week. I think as you'll see is that they took two of the easier holes, which are one and fourteen, which are par fives for us, and they turned them into absolute bears of of par fours that play five twenty. So you right. you're really it's just it's honestly crazy. And no one knew whenever this tournament started two years ago. They put out a scorecard that said it was par seventy two, and I told everybody I was like, "There's no way they're going to play number one, which is five ten, and there's nowhere yeah. to put the tee." There's no way they're going to play that as a par five to start off this tournament. And, of course, now it's a really challenging par four. So you're going to see some guys have to hit super clever shots around these greens. You're going to see them do things that they don't have to do really anywhere else. Um, and it's only getting firmer and tougher. Um, and hopefully they let the rough grow a little bit this week. But I'm sure they won't. Is you know They want to be able to find their golf balls. So. Um- Kobe will be back on this podcast a fair amount this off season. Um, we're going to record a uh, abandoned podcast probably sometime in the next month. I think that's, that's probably something that I'll release in early December. I'm super psyched for that one. And we're going to get Wyeth on too with, you know, Wyeth was our caddy, an excellent caddy, by the way, that I even, I mean, I, I told him, I, I actually want to follow up with him because one of my buddies was just out there and I gave him Wyatt's number and and told him to hit him up because the cat, the caddies abandoned. It's not like a hundred percent success rate, right? As no. we've seen, like it's, I would say probably on a whole, it's, there's probably a good chance that you're going to get an awesome caddy, but like, it's not, it's not like a hundred percent success rate. So, and Wyatt is a a plus. So, uh, Kobe, Wyeth, and I will do probably a multi-part podcast. I just want it to be, I don't think we need to do a separate one for every single course. I want it to be like a real definitive guide to doing this trip because I think it is an extremely doable trip and I want more people to have that experience. Um, and I yeah. want, I think people think of it as like, there's a big barrier for entry on a trip like this. And there is at a place like Ireland, like don't get Ireland's fucking awesome. And I would encourage everyone in the world to go, but like, that was a trip that we planned for two years. Bandon is accessible. Um, and it's affordable. And I think it is like the most magical place on earth. So, and I yeah. know you feel the same way. So I want to uh, take a lot of. Yeah, I take a lot of pride in um, kind of doing golf trips right and being able to plan them and doing them well and uh, you know making sure everybody has a good time. So it's it's something that I I'm happy to share my expertise on. Hopefully, you know people can learn something and 
and go have a great trip because the place is awesome. Although I don't want more people calling up there because I'd like <laughs> to be able to, uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You know, it's a place you have to go. And my wife, um, I took her up there with me once and, you know, she goes, Oh, so this is why you like to come here every year. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Look at this place. Yeah. So it's it's good. I, I look forward to talking about it, chopping it up with you and Wyatt. We have a lot uh, a lot to go over on that trip. So, <laughs> uh, Kobe, do you have anything to plug before we get out of here? We mentioned your Patreon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I am not a tout. Uh, no, follow me on Twitter, I guess, uh, at Dubose Defense. If you're listening to this, you probably have already you followed me. You may have unfollowed me after. Um, <laughs> <laughs> some of the Astros rants uh, and some of my infighting with people over the last few weeks. Now, DeBose Defense, uh, we talk golf and every now and then criminal defense and things of that nature. So come uh, come hang out. There is no Patreon yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> um, all right, Kobe. It was good to see you, buddy. We'll do it again soon. All right, pal. All right. That is it for the podcast. Special thanks to Kobe DuBose. Special thanks to RickRungood.com. We'll be back next week breaking down the RSM Classic. Final event of the False Week. Best of luck with your bets this week, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead shed the back roads stop